Hey everyone, welcome to Women's Work, Rising, Leading, and Thriving, produced by the Institute for Women, Wellness, and Work at Ursuline College. I'm Gina Messina, and this is a podcast that empowers women to recognize ourselves as the leaders we've been waiting for. I am delighted to be talking today with Marissa Castro-McCoy, real-life superwoman making positive change in our greater communities. Marissa is the CEO and president of Jubilee Park and Community Center in Dallas, Texas. Her decision to volunteer with AmeriCorps VISTA as her first post-college career move led to a life-changing experience, and Marissa chose to follow her passion, purpose, and values to commit her work to supporting equity and positive growth in the world. She was recognized as a champion of change by the White House and continues to show up every day to support her community. Marissa, I have been so excited for our podcast interview. You know, we haven't known each other in the past and we connected briefly to schedule this interview. And I immediately felt like we are kindred spirits. Like I'm just so overwhelmed by the incredible work that you're doing, your energy, your commitment to our greater communities and to social justice. And, you know, at the Institute, we're always talking about, you know, our mission is to advance women, to help women make positive change in their lives and the lives of others. And you are a walking example of this, you know, an absolute walking example of this. So so kind to say that. No, it's true. So first, thank you so much for being here because I know you are so busy. So first, let me say that. Oh, it's my pleasure. So I, as I've been reading about you, I was just blown away to see that you were named a champion of change by the White House. I think that was in 2013. And what an incredible honor, but also a very well-deserved recognition of the incredible things you're doing. So can you talk a little bit about what that was like getting that news and what was it based on? What was your experience? Amazing. Sure. Oh, well, first, thank you for, for having me. It's, it really is an honor. And I felt very, uh, I too felt very connected to you. You're very easy to talk to. I feel like I've known you forever. So, oh, you're um, so good. thank you for that. But yeah, so a little bit about that experience in 2013. So I was that cohort of candidates or nominees for the Champion of Change. We were all in the AmeriCorps program at one point in our our career. And to be very honest, when I got the call that I had been nominated and selected and they asked me to go to D.C., I was like, do you have the right person? Are you sure it's me? And I shared with you, I think, in our first conversation, you know, I as a female and as a Latina, I... You know, being a female Latina in leadership, um, there's a lot of self-doubt and, you know, like busting my butt and doing the best that I can, but never thinking that it's enough or feeling like I'm a bit of a fraud. So that that reared its ugly head when I got the call because I thought, are you sure you have the right person? Me? It's me. You want to you want to take the um, honor at the White House? And, and then I thought, can they not find other people? Oh, my God. <laughs> Which is so ridiculous. And, you know, it took my my very sweet, wonderful husband to say, no, what is wrong with you? No, you're amazing. And you, you know, it's a well-deserved uh, award. President Obama is uh, someone who I think of as a, a leader that I try to emulate and I look up to. And so to be 
honored and during his administration really just meant the world. But it was incredible. And, you know, I was surrounded by other people who around the country had dedicated their careers like I have to social justice and being an agent of positive change in our communities. And, you know, it was it was really inspiring to be able to share my story, but also to hear other people's stories with, you know, what their journey has been like from those early days in AmeriCorps. I, I did the AmeriCorps VISTA program when I was 21. And so I was very young. I was in New York City. And that is really what set the course of my career is I, I have a business degree, but I've always had a heart for community work. And so I said, all right, I'm going to do this year of community work, of social justice work, and then I'll go get a quote unquote real job. And I did that for my, that first year. And I thought, this is it. This is what I want to do with my life. And I have, I've been doing it for 24 years, almost 25 now. That's amazing. That's amazing. And I think there are so many of us that can identify with a number of things that you've said. Like number one, the imposter syndrome, feeling like you're just lagging behind or that like they have the wrong person. They couldn't find anybody else, right? Like it's so hilarious, the stories that we tell ourselves Mm -hmm. that are quite frankly ridiculous, right? And make no sense in comparison to just being like, somebody recognized how hard I'm working and the commitments that I've made. It's so funny, but also this idea of getting a real job. I worked in social services for years before, you know, ending up in higher education. And I know that feeling of, okay, I got my MBA. I'm going to go get a real job now. What is not real about the work that you're doing, right? Or that I was doing, like, what's not real about it? And I think for so many who are passionate about working in our communities and being committed to social justice and equity issues and all of those kinds of things, struggle with the pay, right? Because we all know that the pay in social services in that kind of work isn't the same as going to work for a big corporation and in, you know, sitting in a CEO chair, which by the way, you're the CEO and president of your organization. So how do you balance that? You know, it's, I'll say a couple of things to that. You know, when I just, I want to talk a little bit about, if you'll let me the oh yes whole journey that I went through with a real job and then seeing social justice work as a real job. And, you know, because I I come from a family, my brother and I were our first generation college graduates. And for my family, it was like, you're going to college, you're going to college, you're going to be, you know, doctor, lawyer, business person. Like that's, those are your, your tracks. And which is, you know, really why I got a business degree, but I volunteered all through college. And it just really, I always say like, it filled my cup. I loved it. I loved it. And I interned at a pretty big uh, corporation company in Austin where I went to college. And uh, I quickly realized like this can't be all there is to my life, to life, you know, and I was earning good money as an intern and I knew what the path was, you know, but this can't be it. And that's what triggered my, like, I'm either going to go to the Peace Corps or AmeriCorps and I'll see how that goes. And if it's, you know, and I'll be living on a stipend, if I can if it's really truly fulfilling me and filling my cup, I will figure it out. I'll do it. And I had people that I love and I, I really trust 
told me, well, you can just get a real job and then volunteer and that'll satisfy that need you have. But when I went to New York, I was an AmeriCorps Vista for a pretty big settlement house in the Lower East Side. I was like, no, this is real work. This is making an, a change in the world and I want to be a part of it. And so that is what, like, I put my head down. And, and at the time, my experience, I was teaching computer literacy and job readiness training for women who are in transitional housing. And I saw very quickly the impact that education and knowledge had on people, right? So I was teaching very concrete skills and computer literacy, resume writing, interview coaching. And I saw the impact from that to people getting jobs to these women that I was working with, developing relationships with, understanding their stories and how it changed their lives and their children's lives because they were getting a good paying job that could sustain them. And I thought, okay, that's it. I am going to work in nonprofit and in education because that's the lever. That's the equalizer. And that really has been the course of my career. Now I'm in a organization that is, we work in education, but also in house, affordable housing and economic development and health and public safety. So it's really a more holistic approach, but that was really, I mean, just, I think for me getting, just sharing, I guess, the story of my perception of what a real job was. And then the reality check I had when I was in New York and I saw this is something that I can make a career out of and I can feel good about and I can fill my cup every day. That's amazing. And I think it's so funny that that the way that we define what is a real job and what isn't, what we base that on, because the work you're doing is literally changing the world. It is literally making change in people's lives every day that is advancing the way that our world is going to exist in the future. And how is that not real work? And the yeah. most important it's one, a, it, right? Yes, yes. The most important yes. work. It really it is. is. But this, yeah, go ahead. No, please. please. I was going to say the second question I think you had is how do you balance it all? <laughs> well, right. Because you have two boys, you're married, wonderful husband of this company, living up to the expectations of the White House. Like, oh. how are you doing this? It is a day to day check for myself. I, it's taken a long time. I've been doing this work. So I'm 44. I've been doing this work for almost 25 years. Um, I've had a lot of great mentors and role models. And I've also had a lot of not so great <laughs> uh, leaders that I've worked for, but I've learned from that. And I've seen, you know, early on in my career, I've seen nonprofit leaders who have, this is their 100% their life and they burn out. They burn, they burned out really quickly. Sometimes it was at the expense of family relationships. And so I learned a lot. I took note. And then I realized, I don't know, I'd say about 10 years ago that this whole idea of, you know, can women really have it all? Like, can you be a, like a hundred percent amazing mom, wife, friend, and leader? And the answer is no, not at the same time. You can't, there are, I think of it as almost different lever, different pistons. Right. And so, and it happens like at work where I am. 150% in. I am on weekends in the evening if something big is going on. So I think of it as almost pistons or scales, right? I look at my wow. family for my friends, but I'm very cognizant of the duration and how long those scales are off because I know 
I've got to, I've got to compensate. So my, uh, you know, so my kids are never feeling like, oh, mommy is always on her laptop or mommy is not fully there. Mommy's not coming to parent teacher conference. I know that I'm going to make up for it in the next week. And I think of it, I try to look at it by month. So I look at my month, like, okay, is the way, is there a wave coming for work? What do I need to do to coordinate, you know, with my great partner who is truly a partner to help? And then I know that like, I'll take some time off or I'm not going to work in the evenings for the next two weeks. And I'm going to engage with the kids. The whole idea of you can be a hundred percent on in all roles of your life is a fallacy. It's just, you can't, there's only so much time in the day. I just try to make sure that I am checking myself with when the scales are a little bit off and I make up for it. I make up on the other side. I can empathize with that so much. And I think that so many women can empathize with that in thinking about like, there are times when I am just, yeah, full on at work, working seven days a week, you know, morning till night. And I feel very guilty about it. I feel like my daughter feels neglected and I'm telling her, I'm so sorry. Like, I just got to get through this next week or two and then we can do whatever. But my other question is, and by the way, I love that you said the Pistons. Mm -hmm. I need to give credit to a good friend, uh, Ingrid, who says it's calibrating, right? Which is exactly what you're talking about. There's no such thing as work-life balance. You're always calibrating. You're just trying to figure it out. And so when thinking about work and thinking about kids and family and all of these things, where do you come into the picture? Like, when is there time for Marissa? That's what I want to know. Cause that is one of the things I think about too. Like, um, uh, yeah. is it okay for me to like, just yes. lock myself in a room for a day and eat chocolate and binge watch Netflix? Like, you know, yes. what do you do for yourself and how often? Yeah. That has been one of my newest practices, I will say, because what I talked about earlier with the Pistons, it never involved me. It was everybody else. Mm-hmm. It was work. It was my team that I led that I wanted to make sure were supported. My husband, my children, my parents. But it was I was never in that equation until recently. I was in a leadership program, a year-long leadership program for social change agents in uh, around the country who I just finished that a couple months ago, but that was a really big piece of it. And so I started thinking about the things that I do. What do I like to do? What are my, you know, I almost forgot (laughs) other than be with my children and my husband, what are Marissa things, you know? And I was like, when was the last time I read a book for pleasure and not to learn? I mean, I read lots of books, but it's always with the intent of parenting how to be a better leader, how to be in control of my time management, you know, but it was never like a mindless read or a fun read. And so that's been, I would say over the last year that I've been focusing on carving out time for me. And I, um, in college, I played tennis and that that's what paid, paid for school. My dad taught us how to play and both my brother and I went to college and played tennis. I hadn't played since my second child was born. So nine years ago, we just joined a a little club next to the, close to the house. And I started playing again. And my goal is by the end of the year to get back on a women's league. 
And if you had asked me five years ago, if I would have done like, no way, I don't have time for that. I don't have time. My time is everywhere else. So I'm really happy and I am proud of myself for identifying that time um, and valuing it because it felt very selfish to do that prior to, you know, a year ago, two years ago. So what changed your mind? Like what made it feel not selfish to you? I think when I started, well, one was this program I went through that we all were women and and we all had very similar challenges with, you know, the, the juggling, the expectations, the guilt, you mentioned guilt. Oh my goodness. Guilt on all, on all fronts. And then I realized like, if I don't take care of myself, I'm no good to anybody. You know, I'll be short fused. I'm not as clear. My thought process and my critical thinking skills aren't, aren't as sharp as they need to be. And when I started doing things for myself and it sounds small, but reading a book or watching a Netflix show, it always felt very guilty to me if I'm, if I'm not watching a, a movie with my kids, you know, I shouldn't be watching TV to playing tennis. Like it has just made a really big difference in, in just my disposition and my happiness and my energy. It's just a small change. And I, it was ignited really by speaking to 19 other women who were in this cohort with me. And so that encouragement and trying it, it, would, it made such a big difference in, in how I was kind of walking through my day. Well, I think that's also such a testament to how our communities of women are so important, right? And having that support, connecting with other women, knowing that we're not alone in our experiences is so, so critical for all of us. One of the things that you said that I, I, I really wanted to follow up on is that you have learned so much from the leaders that you've worked with over time, some that were really bad, some that were really great. So what are some of the things that you learned not to do? And what are some of the best tips that you have learned? I would say the biggest thing that I noticed pretty early on in my career, but I see it now 24 years later, is how ego can get in the way Mm. of your purpose and how leadership is a, is a gift. And you're given this gift because you have the skill and you've earned it, but it's to carry a mission forward, right? It's to carry forward the mission of what you're trying to do. It's not about you. And so I think sometimes people I guess it's human nature, but people can get drunk with power and feel like, oh, I sit in this leadership position. And then the interactions in the work becomes more about the person versus the work. And I am, you know, I talked about filling my cup, like that's filling my cup is leading a team and seeing impact and seeing the proverbial needle move with what you're trying to do. So I would say that is one. And that is something that, you know, I am very mindful of when I am speaking, I'm doing public speaking credit, you know, giving credit to the team, to volunteers. It's not about the leader. It's not about Marissa. It's about the work that we're doing. And I try to make sure that I'm always grounding everything in that. I'd say that's probably the biggest piece. The other thing you asked, oh, tips. I think one is making sure that you have other leaders in your network, you know, someone outside of your partner <laughs> that, that you can 
talk to people. So a, a few trusted, really trusted people that you can talk through workshop challenges with that get it. They might not work in your same organization, but they understand the work and the landscape, I should say. It's probably better. I mean, I still have people in my in my world that I am still connected to and that live in DC. When I used to live in DC before I came back to Dallas, that I still call. And, you know, they're not here in Dallas, but they they sure know the dynamics of, you know, political implications and relationships. And again, back to like leadership struggles and power dynamics. Uh, so I'd say absolutely have your tribe, have your, your people that you can talk to, go to happy hour with every once in a while. I mean, that's not to say that my, my husband doesn't hear a lot of, (laughs) (laughs) he does, but it's very helpful to have other people who are, who understand the landscape to help support you. And even if it's, not for a solution. It's just to say, like, I'm listening. I'm here. You're right. That sucks. This is, it's going to pass, but just to commiserate and, and help you keep your head above the wave. Marissa, I, I cannot tell you how much I appreciate this conversation and you making the time. And I know so many people are going to be so grateful to hear from you, to hear about the wonderful things that you are doing and just your acknowledgement of the calibration. And your willingness to say, it's okay for me to play tennis and to read a book, right? Like that is okay. I appreciate that. I am grateful. This has just been so wonderful. And again, thank you so much. You're doing amazing, amazing work. And so I want to really encourage anyone who's listening to connect with Marissa's LinkedIn profile, connect with the Jubilee Park and Community Center to find out about the amazing, amazing work that you're doing. And, you know, the incredible change that you're making in our world. It's just outstanding. Oh, Gina, you're so sweet. And thank you for saying that really, really means a lot. And I absolutely welcome anyone to reach out to me via LinkedIn, just as someone to provide another perspective. I'm happy to do that. People did that for me and I'm here to do that for others. And, you know, my hand is always extended to to bring other people along, other women along uh, their leadership journey. So I please, please do please reach out. That is wonderful. Thank you so much, Marissa. You're very welcome. Thank you, Gina. It's been so fun. Absolutely. I'll look forward to being in touch. Yes, sounds good. Thanks for listening in today. And to learn more about our guests, visit our website at womenwellnesswork.ursuline.edu. Don't forget to subscribe to Women's Work on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to your podcasts.